Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Tuesday, May 12th. Arden Zwelling with Ben Nicholson-Smith. Later on in the podcast, we're going to be joined by Matt Bushman, who's the Blue Jays bullpen coach and director of pitching development. He's going to talk to us a bit about just what he's been up to over the uh, the last two months, how the Blue Jays are connecting with pitchers on both the Major League and Meyer League side, how they're trying to get some development done over Zoom and, you know, through various other online platforms and just kind of what a Blue Jays pitcher is up to right now and, and how the club is keeping those guys involved and engaged and making progress. But I do want to mention off the top today being Tuesday, May 12th, that is International Nurses Day. And in recognition of all frontline healthcare workers, Rogers Sports and Media is saying thank you by launching the Hearts and Smiles campaign. You can go to www.heartsandsmiles.ca to purchase a limited edition t-shirt. You can purchase a t-shirt and mask combo or you can actually purchase a 10 pack of masks and anybody who's been out there trying to get masks lately will know that <laughs> it's not always the easiest thing to do. So this would be a nice way to get yourself some masks and also to support a great cause. All proceeds from these t-shirts and masks are going to the Frontline Fund, which provides supplies and support for healthcare professionals who put themselves ahead of others to ensure our safety and well-being. Our frontline warriors continue to have our backs throughout COVID. It's time for us to have theirs. So you can go to www.heartsandsmiles.ca and get involved in that. A great initiative, Ben. I've got my t-shirt here. I've got my mask here. It's not always the easiest thing to get your hands on a mask these days. So I'm actually pretty appreciative that I've got mine right here for these seldom times that I'm out in public. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And all for a great cause. Definitely thank you to all the frontline workers and thank you in particular on International Nurses Day to the nurses. So it's definitely a great cause and happy to be supporting it. The Frontline Fund is a charity that supports more than 150 hospital foundations across Canada which are battling COVID. It actually focuses on three areas. Supplies for healthcare workers, so that's like PPE. Support for healthcare workers, so that would be if somebody needs a, a hotel room near a hospital or some sort of mental health resource. And then also research, which is extremely important right now obviously, you know, for clinical drug trials or vaccine development. That's what's ultimately going to get us out of all this, a more rapid testing, more pervasive testing, and B, hopefully a vaccine or at least a more effective treatment than what we currently have. So, you know, if you do go to heartsandsmiles.ca and if you do purchase a t-shirt or a mask or both or a pack of masks, your money is going to be going to a really good cause and you're going to be helping hopefully all of us get out of what we're in now and what we've been in for the last two months a whole lot sooner. Yeah, exactly. Any kind of relief I'm sure will be appreciated. And, and this is a small step that those of us who are kind of comfortably limited away in our own homes. It's a comfortable isolation compared to the work that a lot of frontline workers are doing. That's for sure. Yes, absolutely. So weekly quarantine update, Ben. Let's hear what you got. What, what do you want to tell the people about what the last week of quarantine has been like? You know, I don't have a ton. I have two little things to throw at you. One, I'm ready for it to be warm. You know, I, <laughs> I, I know we live in Canada and I know you can't necessarily expect tropical weather, but man, like it was snowing the other day. I'm ready for it to be warm. So I'm just going to put that out there. I know it's, you know, it's not going to necessarily make a difference, but that is a change that I am awaiting eagerly. Yeah, this would be a lot easier if we were in like California 
or, uh, you know, in Florida, where I know a, a large amount of Blue Jays personnel are. Like, we're going to talk to Matt Bushman later in the pod, and I know that he's down there in Florida right now kind of riding this thing out. That would make life a lot easier if you could just, like, go and sit outside without your toes falling off. Exactly. And number two, so I know so this is to do with The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix, and you are not currently watching it, right? I'm not, no. And I assume, you know, some of our listeners probably are. I'll try to avoid spoilers here, but I mean, his career is it's pretty history. well documented. Yeah, so exactly. it happened. So, yeah. I think they win a championship, I'm pretty sure. They win one or two of those. And everyone knows, too, that Michael Jordan played baseball at some point. And I think, you know, that's where I'm really drawn into the story at that point. The whole thing is compelling. But there's this mystery, or at least for me in my lifetime as a baseball fan who appreciates basketball and follows basketball but doesn't really know the ins and outs of it I've always been aware of the fact that Michael Jordan played baseball for a year and it's always been this kind of mystery you know like why did he do this he was at the peak of his powers the Bulls had just won three straight championships and it's always been presented to me as this mystery and so here's the you know slight spoiler if you want to skip ahead a few minutes here I actually think that the mystery is completely answered within this documentary. His dad had just died. If you look at the documentary, the extent of the media coverage around him, the extent of the global fascination with Michael Jordan would begin the moment that he left his hotel room. It would not end until he returned to his hotel room at night. He never had a moment outside of the spotlight. He could never stop being Michael Jordan's star basketball player. So you have this guy who was just totally overwhelmed, totally in the spotlight, insane amounts of pressure to be this role model, to be this NBA champion, pressure that he put on himself, and then pressure that the rest of the world reflected back onto him. And then his dad dies, and he's just like, I just need a break. You know, it wasn't necessarily a retirement forever, but to me, that is one of the questions that has been answered in watching this documentary. The guy was just tired out burning out he didn't want to play at anything less than his peak powers and he says i want to break so he, he basically took a sabbatical and went and played baseball for a year you know what the the mistake michael jordan made with baseball was he should have been a pitcher like he was too big for what he was trying to like he was i don't know off the top of my head but he was probably he had to be like six seven or something right like he's a really good basketball player so he should have been a pitcher like just with his body type and obviously it's a lot harder, but like, you know, think about MLB, like how many six, six dudes do you see stepping into the batter's box in an MLB game? It's rare, right? It's and you think big. about, you've got Dave Winfield, you've got Aaron Judge, but it's pretty rare to see a hitter with, you know, Adam Dunn was six, five or six, six, but most of the best hitters in baseball, you know, are closer to probably six, two. That's the Mike Trout territory. Or these days you have the Mookie Betts, Francisco Lindors, who are like five, eight, five, nine. Yeah, to say nothing of Jose Altuve. And so, you know, when you look at guys like who had success in multiple sports, like, you know, Deion Sanders or uh, Bo Jackson, they were more of that, you know, ideal athletic build of 6'1", 225 or something. If you're, you know, as tall as Michael Jordan was with the, the long levers and everything, like you need to be on the mound. And obviously that's a lot harder to do than to try to, you know, step in and, and play outfield and, and, you know, be in a batter's box, you know, like Tim Tebow, you know, like it's tough when you're that tall. Michael Jordan should have been a pitcher. That was a mistake he made. There's probably something to that. I wonder, you know, if they ever clocked him, how hard he threw. I'm sure it was probably pretty hard because the guy was obviously an incredible athlete. That's one of those questions I've never even really heard contemplated. 
there is your last dance update as every sports show on the face of the planet must have its last dance check-in athletics has done it and now after this we are going to lean back towards toronto blue jays baseball and talk to that club's bullpen coach and director of pitching development matt bushman who's going to help us understand and, and take us inside what the organization is doing right now to continue the development of its pitchers during these uncertain times after this matt bushman Matt Bushman's with us. Matt, it's good to hear from you. Very much appreciate you taking the time. Right off the top, like, let's just do the status update. Where are you set up during all this? How are you finding it? Have you found any kind of semblance of a normal routine two months into this craziness? Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I am down in Florida once spring training kind of stopped. My family and I stayed down in Florida. We didn't go back to our house. We're running it out. So I tell you what, the rental market during a pandemic is uh, generally not that bad. <laughs> So uh, we found a place to rent, which is good. And we're down in warmer weather. And if this thing starts back up, we're kind of right here. So that's where we're at. And then as far as kind of finding some kind of normalness to it, I mean, I guess if Zoom is the new normal, then yes, I think we found at least some kind of standard work week and consistency in what we're trying to do. So it's been good. So you mentioned, you know, Zoom obviously incorporated into your week and you are, you know, obviously located in a pretty good spot for you know, weather-wise, especially compared to some other people in the organization. But walk us through what a normal day might look like for you in this time. Obviously, it's extremely different than what it would have been a year ago or what you would have anticipated a few months ago. You know, baseball is such a weird sport in that there's not a lot of time usually in baseball. You're always really reacting. You're either in the season and then it's just a day-to-day grind or you've just had a, an entire season and your mind is mush and you have the off season and you're trying to recover as much as possible. And within that time, there's always small pockets to kind of, you know, look at your philosophy, get creative, start to build big picture thoughts. And I guess the silver lining in this, if there is one, is we have more time to kind of discuss things and see where they go, you know, and not just have a, a one-off conversation about them. So I think what we've been able to do as an organization so far is one, connect with our players probably in a way that going forward in off seasons of the future is probably gonna be really helpful. And then I think two, talking with staff and just kind of really rallying around kind of our identity as an organization and, and what we believe in and having those deeper discussions and, and kind of pushing some bigger thoughts forward, which has been kind of the cool part of it. So are you more focused on those kind of big picture like philosophical discussions right now or are you able to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of hey this guy's working on his change-up grip or hey you know this guy's release point is inconsistent yes and um yes both uh, <laughs> i think from staff you know when we get together we're able to have those talks but the cool thing is is that you know the number one focus for us is just connecting with our players and making sure they're in a good place and communicating them as much as possible but you know, even during the season, it's tough to have those one-on-one conversations. And I think for coaches, they are having those and bringing up topics that players can develop. And I guess the players that are able to, it's been pretty cool to see how creative they can be and, and still wanting to develop and not kind of letting this time go by with nothing happening and not take advantage of it. So I think both of those things are happening. There is a lot of time <laughs> for sure taking advantage of it. It's interesting. And I, I do want to hear about some of the more granular stuff, but 
you know, within the Blue Jays organization, you mentioned the identity as an organization. And that seems like something that top down, you know, Mark will talk about that. And it seems like that's something that's really important to him. When you look at the pitching side of things, what are some of the things that you guys are trying to cultivate? The, some of the things that you guys are, are really trying to emphasize when it comes to the pitching side of what the Toronto Blue Jays look like? A lot of it is just asking the right questions. So just kind of relooking at, you know, what do we have, you know, as tools to use for development? What do we leave in? You know, so for us, it's just what can we control? What can players control? And, and trying to not only help players maximize their potential and looking at how we can do that, but also just bringing it back to winning. You know, I think winning is, is really important to us. We want to talk about it. And I think in the nature of development, we've had this major shift towards we have all these things and we can develop players and it is great. And now it's actually kind of coming back from that and saying, yes, but we're developing to win. And this is all towards kind of a, a winning culture. So it's asking questions on how we can create that and then leaning on some of the identity of players we've had in the past. You know, Pat Hinkin is around, Paul Contrell is around, and, and those guys have been part of winning cultures and Pat part of winning with Toronto. So trying to kind of pull from them as well. I think it's just kind of saying, who are we as the Blue Jays and what does it feel like? to put on a Blue Jays jersey if you're a pitcher and how do you help us, the organization, and be a part of winning championships? So what are some of those traits or characteristics from guys like Pat and from Quantrill that you would hope that, you know, Orion Baraki or uh, TJ Zoic or whoever is going to take on over this time? It's learning from those guys, you know, what it's like to handle. You know, we want to develop skill as much as possible. We want to develop a player, but you know, you're only as good as what skill you can do under pressure. And that seems to be that last test for a lot of players when they get to the major leagues is, you know, can you do all these things when you're under pressure? Or can you do all these things when it's 40,000 people screaming in a playoff game? We're trying to lean on those guys to get, you know, how they were able to handle it. How can we teach that? You know, we have a mental performance department that's is really helpful. It's one thing to say, hey, you guys just need to compete. You know, I was ah, just you got to have this confidence, you got to compete, but you got to go further and say, well, how do we, the guys that don't seemingly have that aren't quote unquote born with it. You know, how do you train that? And you have to start with saying you believe you can, you know, you can create an environment where guys get better at that part of it. So I think that's one of the big things you want to pull from those guys. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it sounds like a lot of people are involved in that whole process. When it comes to, you know, pulling in, let's say, like a mental performance coach, and then you have the expertise of, of a Pat Henkin, and then you have yourself and Pete Walker, all these different voices involved, technology makes it possible to bring all those voices to, you know, let's say it is a Ryan Baraki or a Thomas Pannone. What does that look like? I mean, are you guys, you know, getting together with massive groups? I mean, there are hundreds of people with some sort of connection to pitching within the Blue Jays organization. Is this done by level? Is this done, you know, in small breakout groups? What does that look like in the course of your week-to-week -week work with these guys? It's more of the last thing you said. It's, it's kind of breakout groups. We've done a lot of looking into a team of teams, which is a book by Stanley McChrystal, and just, you know, creating teams that you trust to kind of move quick, you know, because it does seem like if you have to get this big group together, it seems like a slow moving thing. And, you know, baseball has gotten so complex that, you know, you, you kind of need people to be able to move quickly to make adjustments to the changing game. And so I think to your point, you know, what we've been able to do is we do have a lot of really great people. And for that, it's trying to take in all this information, but 
it's not like let's all get together and talk about it. It's like let's have this conversation over here. Let's have this conversation over there. And and I guess the analogy I try to make, and I don't know if it's a good one, but the underlying concept of the iPhone is very complicated and complex, and it's hard to understand. But what they do is they do a good job of putting it so it's just very easy to use for someone that doesn't understand that. I think to that point, it's our job as an organization is to take all this complicated complex stuff and information and put it into something that's easy to use, easy to systemize for players to go through and, and just get better and try to realize their dream and you know help us as an organization win. It's interesting that you bring up Team of Teams because I was listening to General McChrystal on the Making Sense podcast with Sam Harris recently. And he had, you know, Sam Harris had him on just to talk about the applications of that book in what we're going through right now and over the last two months. I'm kind of curious if, you know, obviously nobody saw this coming. Like nobody thought that, you know, you thought you would be, you know, in wherever the Blue Jays are supposed to be today on May 12th. I don't know if you guys were supposed to be on the road or at Rogers Center, but yeah, Texas, right? Like, you know, and you thought you'd be dealing with, you know, whatever, this guy is is hurt and, you know, we need a starter for that day and, and you know, these guys have been overworked or whatever. And now you've totally shifted what you're kind of working on. And I'm wondering if you look at, you know, this pandemic and this adversity that you're going through right now is kind of maybe accelerating some of those philosophies and some of those frameworks that you were trying to put in place over a longer period of time. Absolutely. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. I, mean, I think we came in spring. We did a lot of awesome work in the off season, trying to rally around, you know, like I think there's a lot of different thoughts and feelings, but it's like, let's put that together into something we believe in. Let's kind of put the paper, our beliefs. And so, you know, you go through spring training and you can do as much as you want, but spring training and the season coming up is just this oncoming train that you can't ignore. And so when we have something like this, and even I was listening, there's another podcast that I can't recall right now that Stanley was on and. People are asking questions on how he would handle something like this. And he just talks about, it's just, it is, you know, with, with people in our organization, what's been so cool to see is so many people just kind of stepping up and, you know, we talk every day, especially at the beginning of this thing. It was, let's check in every day. We're getting through this together. Let's create something we're looking toward. So there isn't just this kind of floating feeling. The fortunate thing is we had something we can go work on right away. We had something we could say, we want to try to finish out our thoughts in these areas. And so... This time has allowed us to really kind of dive a little bit deeper into these areas and really kind of clean them up in a way that we feel really good about. All of this will be ever changing, but, you know, I think with the new facility coming up for spring training, it allows us to dive deeper into how we're going to utilize that and hit the ground running and, you know, all those different things. So, yeah, his book and then listening to some of his podcasts have been helpful to kind of deal with this time. It seems like in the last, say, five, 10 years, the game has moved so much away from you know, maybe general statements like the one you were saying before, you know, you just got to go out there and pitch with confidence to really specific takeaways that the pitchers or players of any kind can take onto the field. If you're working with a pitcher on something specific, and let's say maybe it's remote, maybe you're able to be somewhat in the same area as them. What does that process look like right now? Like if a pitcher is trying to improve, let's say a grip or a release point, what does that process look like down to that granular level? That's a good question. And I think right now, another positive outcome of this is this idea that there is things like Zoom out there, right? And it was kind of a forced understanding of this, this kind of space of what this video chat can look like outside of FaceTime. We all know FaceTime, but Zoom gives you a function that allows you to share screen. You know, what I found, what coaches have found is you can Zoom with a player 
and then you can share your screen. So you're basically like sitting next to him looking at video or, you know, I can show him what I'm thinking. He can see what I'm looking at on my screen. I can show him video. I can show him data. I can show him all these things. And to have that feeling and to basically feel like you're sitting next to a player, even though he's, you know, wherever else in the world, man, that's been pretty cool. And it almost makes it better because when you're on the field, sometimes you're trying to talk through, you don't have that thing to pull from and say, hey, let me show you what I'm talking about. You know, but on a given moment, I can be talking to him on Zoom and, and pull up some website I was thinking of and show him. And it's almost like creating the model of what the offseason can look like, where we are kind of disconnected from these players. And and that is the kind of main time they can make adjustments and, and develop and not be in competition. So I think that's been a pretty cool outcome of this. Zoom and some of those platforms are interesting because like we're all learning how to use these and how to get the most out of them. Like even Ben and I, you know, here at Rogers and Sportsnet, like we're, we're using Zoom a lot as well. And like you, you know, communicate differently when it's over Zoom, right? And you kind of learn as you go. Like I feel like I'm getting better at it where I'm like, all right, I know if I kind of make a joke early and loosen somebody up or you understand how not to step over each other when you're talking to each other on Zoom, like there is a bit of that learning curve. I'm curious, you know, for you as a coach and for your call colleagues have you guys kind of learned ways to get better at it and to adapt and find ways to really just impact players more through that platform like I'm wondering if that's been a bit of a learning process over these last two months yeah it's like the first couple of times you do it it's like you have to be aware of like what's my background you know where am I in the house is the lighting weird you know it's all these little things that seem kind of not like a big deal but once you clean that up and then it is it's, it's getting comfortable staring at yourself and then you're kind of like, what, do I really look like that? <laughs> <laughs> then you, we can record them if we want. And, and then you can go back and if you're given maybe a talk or a presentation, you can kind of go back, which is always a very scary thing. But it's almost gotten people comfortable with like, yeah, you're not in your office. You know, you're, you're seeing people that you normally see maybe buttoned up every day that in, in work attire that are at home. So it, it's almost you let the guard down. And, and part of that is just having some really great open conversations that maybe don't happen if you're, you know, in an office setting per se or at the stadium. It's been a neat learning curve and just all the things you can use with it, you know, just being able to do presentations. And I mean, even this, this function like breakout room, you know, we can have a hundred people on a Zoom and, and we can all break out the rooms and have discussion and come back. And, and so the more you learn about it, the, the more you realize it's such a great tool when people aren't together. When you're talking to the pitchers within the Jays organization, what are some of the questions that you're getting most frequently? I mean, I, I presume not that anyone here knows the answer or not that anyone necessarily in the game knows the exact answer as to when things will start up. But I assume that's a topic of conversation amongst the players in the organization. But what else do you find yourself talking about with these guys on a regular basis? The one thing that comes up is, you know, the nature of workload. I mean, Think about a starter in high A that had 100 innings last year. Regardless of if we have a season or not, you know, should he try to build up right now and be getting innings load, you know, like that he can carry into the next season, you know? And then also, should he be developing something? I mean, the unfortunate part of this is everyone is just continuing to get older. You know, aging doesn't stop and you know, the ability to develop doesn't stop, even though maybe the season has stopped right now. And so it's just kind of trying to wrap your head around, like, how to take advantage of this time. Because no one should have thought to study like, well, what happens if you don't get injured, but you don't pitch for an entire year and then you pitch the next year? What does that do? You know, does that put you at risk? And I think these are the questions that we're trying to figure out now, you know, specifically on the pitching side and just trying to walk through 
what we can do to just support our players and put them in the best position for when this thing kind of moves, you know, in a better direction. But that seems to be a lot of it. Absolutely. It's a question I'm sure that every team is kind of grappling with, and it's not an easy one. But when it comes to, you know, like, let's say, you know, your most famous pitching prospect, Nate Pearson, obviously, he worked his way up to something like 100 innings last year. Now, that seems pretty unlikely that he would get to that threshold again. But when you have a prospect like that, like, how do you handle the potential increase in workload. Let's say someone who's lower in the system, maybe they don't even have a minor league season. Have you guys arrived at any sort of you know general guidelines as to how you might handle those situations? We've definitely been talking about it, and I think we're just trying to figure that out. You know, it's almost like there are no other guidelines for that. The initial thought is let's see if we can just get guys like staying in shape. And it's not just is there a season coming. I think that question is kind of disconnected from hey regardless if the season's coming or not should you just continue to throw if you can and if it's safe and you have an ability to get out and play long toss let's say or or out to a mound you know could you use this time to go through i don't know a velocity program when normally you're stressing your arm anyways and so i think that's the kind of conversations we're having right now and and asking like should these guys be building up and independent of whether or not there's going to be a season or when it may start for that reason, so that we can kind of simulate maybe 120 innings for a guy from now until September. I don't think we know the answer to that. It's something we're discussing and just trying to do the best we can and, and ask all the right questions and then, you know, have that conversation with players because a lot of it depends on what they're able to do. So just trying to be creative within what we're given. Well, and I feel like the biggest challenge for a pitcher right now who's trying to, you know, develop or get better or, you know, just progress at something is they don't ever get to test their stuff in games. And, you know, like it's I'm sure it's one thing to hone a pitch in a side session or on a, on a bullpen mound, but it's another to actually see how a hitter responds to it and actually try it in competition. So, do, like, have you guys been able to toy with any tools or methods that can kind of simulate that more accurately with obviously the circumstances right now and the limitations that you're dealing with right now to kind of give guys a, a bit more of that, you know, competitive feedback? Yeah, I think there are probably guys that have the ability to maybe grab a hitter and do kind of a one verse one. If not, you have to ask the question, A, are they built up to be kind of in a game-like intensity environment? You know, can they handle that? And B, if they are, yeah, then I think it's creating an environment and being as creative as possible and putting as much pressure on yourself, you know, because really you want the feedback from the hitter, but essentially you're saying, well, can you also produce this, you know, can you execute this pitch if you put a ton of pressure on yourself? And so for some guys, they don't want a hitter, you know, maybe it's creating an environment where they have to execute a pitch. They have any kind of pitch tracking, right? If they have a rap soto. You have to throw it this hard and put it in this area and hold yourself to some standard. It's kind of the best we can come up with right now, other than knowing what, you know, pitch metrics and what works well at the big league level, because we have all that data, you know, but even then, like you're saying, like if those guys don't have access to any kind of technology, I think it's just competing with yourself, which is probably in some way good for some players to go through that process and try to be creative and and hold themselves accountable. Yeah, I saw Eric Jaggers the other day on Twitter, who obviously came out of driveline, works at the Reds now, and he kind of posted this little challenge that he's throwing at some of his pitchers where they have to like hit certain quadrants of the zone. So they would have like a list of 25 pitches for their bullpen and you'd have your pitch types like first pitch is going to be fastball, second pitch is going to be slider, change up, whatever. 
and then there was like a corresponding quadrant of the zone that they had to hit. Like, are you guys playing around with any kind of internal competition, like games like that, where guys are kind of competing with themselves and looking to, you know, throw that perfect bullpen where they hit the right quadrant of the zone with the right pitch? Yeah, I mean, I think we've definitely had those discussions. And I think um, it's wrapping our heads around, first, let's get a group of guys and, and get as many guys as we can and see we can build up. And then we can start putting out that kind of competition. I know on the hitting side, they've had some cool things that you can do, like occlusion training or any kind of training you can do that becomes a competition. That's something you can do online. It's not you know physical. But I mean, right now we're just the competition is kind of like who's the most creative and who's getting their work in. We've gotten some really cool videos from a lot of pitchers, just kind of you know the amount of guys that have like built their makeshift mounds and done this really cool work to kind of create something they can go work at. And it's just crazy to see some of the videos from some of our Dominican and Venezuelan players, you know, and just the lack of resources they may have, but they're still able to kind of get baseball work in. I mean, there's one video of a guy dragging a tire down the road. They're in the middle of nowhere throwing a ball into a wall, but it just shows that there's a lot of guys out there willing to continue to get better. And so that's been really cool to see. Yeah, that, that is really cool. You know, it's not that long ago that you were pitching. You are in the majors in 2016. If you were still pitching as opposed to being a coach during a time like this, how do you think you would have handled it? Because, you know, I assume each player handles it differently. And I assume for each player, this is a tough time. Like, there's only so many years in a career. It's an extremely tough profession to get into and stay in. Like, what do you think it would have been like if you were pitching and something like this happened? In some ways, it's heartbreaking to think of. I, I know, like, let's say after 2015, I felt like I did a lot of hard work in the offseason, right? And, and you come into spring training and you feel really good. And then all of a sudden this happens and it's like, wait, what? You know, and then 16 was really my last year playing. And I wonder how many players are going through that right now, you know, and how many players towards the end of their career or how many young players had, had put in this, this offseason of work and they felt like they had this pitch. And I think for me, I mean, me personally, I, I would have taken time. I was old and my arm was starting to hurt a little bit. So it maybe would have been a blessing in disguise to kind of continue to build up maybe or let an arm heal. I mean, I probably would have done some version of, all right, once I kind of have an idea of how long it's going to take, maybe trying to find some kind of throwing program that could build, try to get a little bit more velocity at where I was at, probably less velocity and more just arm stability. Plus, like, try to figure out a pitch. You know, idle hands can be the devil, devil's playground sometimes, but, you know, may come up with some weird new pitch. But, yeah, I mean, I think I would have tried to just really dive into specifically my pitches and trying to change them in some way to make them better. The story about dragging the tire down the road is actually, that's really interesting to me. I'm curious if you have any other, you know, examples of, cool things that you've seen on video from players or kind of interesting development strides that you've seen made over this time? Yeah, I mean, just have a little thread of, you know, all the coaches that are connecting with all the players and, you know, just kind of dumping all the videos they're getting in there so we can just kind of, you know, have those. I think those will be cool after the fact. But a lot of it is just these interesting home-built mounds that guys are putting up and kind of finding 60 feet, 6 inches at, uh, in very small spaces. One of them was throwing a bullpen and 
it's in a garage somewhere in the backgrounds, like all this random hardware stuff. And, you know, the guy's in his backyard and it looks like he barely has enough room to throw a pen, but he's making it work. And I think it's mostly that, and, you know, like there's some, been some really cool, like I said, in the Dominican, it's just, you, know, you got guys filling jugs of water to use his weights and find some way, like using a cinder block as some version of weights to do leg exercises. And so it's just, it's been cool to see the creativity and, and the willingness to kind of just take what's around you and, and try to get better. Do each of the coaches kind of have a group of players that they are, you know, I don't, I don't know, responsible for or working with directly, or is is it more of a wide net being cast? It is. We wanted to create a system where there could be consistent check-ins, you know, for players and for peace of mind. So what we we did kind of create, you know, each pitching coach had a group of players they're checking in with. And early on, it was just often, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, are you safe? What resources do you have? What can we do to help? And, you know, once it became kind of stabilized and the people were, you know, finally in places where they feel like they're settled, then it became, you know, what you know, what equipment do you have? What can we serve you with? And, you know, to help you continue to work and get better. And so since then, we've kind of transitioned to, all right, you know, what can we do? Let's talk about development. And even just like looking at my own experiences with all this, like the monotony of it as we are here, you know, two months into it. And like there's this end date that is, you know, moving and seemingly getting further and further away as we go. Like the monotony of it gets kind of challenging. I'm curious if you've encountered that with any players and what you guys can kind of do to break up the monotony and just kind of keep this time interesting and engaging for them. Yeah, and I think that's where trying to be creative with Zoom. I know, I know we've tried to do some happy hours <laughs> where uh-huh. you can kind of create some version of a a locker room setting, you know, where you're just kind of getting a group of people together and not necessarily, you know, working, but just saying, how's it going, telling stories, feeling like you're kind of having camaraderie amongst teammates and staff. So those tend to break up the kind of monotony of created work we, we have so far. So, yeah, you know, and other than that, trying to find all the shows to watch just trying to like either get to the end of the internet or or watch every show on netflix <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a noble pursuit appreciate you taking the time man hope you're well and hope that we get to see you sometime soon absolutely yeah appreciate you having me on i hope you guys are staying safe up there as well our thanks to matt bushman for joining us here on at the letters lots of interesting stuff in there not least of which just how the blue jays are kind of approaching workloads with pitchers and approaching you know how you go about ramping guys up for a possible shortened season or the possibility of not having a season and then how you maintain some of the bulk that pitchers have been adding in terms of innings and pitches thrown and workloads from season to season to season. We all know like once you turn professional out of high school or college where you weren't logging anywhere near the innings load that you would, you know, in the minors and majors, you try to kind of progressively add year over year and build up to you know, the ideal for a starter being like a, you know, 180, 190 inning guy and for a reliever being like 60 to 70 inning guy, not having games right now and not having actual competition is really throwing a stick in the spokes of those plans and of that progression. So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, when it comes to the Blue Jays, not only major leaguers, but perhaps even most importantly, minor leaguers, how they continue building up pitcher workloads over this time. Yeah, I think you said it right there. I think it almost is more important for the minor leaguers. You know, like a Tanner Roark, if he, if let's say there was no season whatsoever, which, you know, it seems like they're trying to get something going, but let's say there was no season. 
I think Tanner Roar could show up in 2021 and basically be the same guy. Same with Chase Anderson, these veteran starters, Matt Shoemaker, maybe a slight different story there because of the injury he's coming back from. But in general, you have the veteran guys, they've done it so many times before that they're well-equipped to handle a layoff if necessary. But in contrast to that, you have these young pitchers coming up through the organization, and this is really a need for the Blue Jays. As much as they've taken some strides in the last couple of years, they still need more young arms. At some point, Roark will hit free agency again. Shoemaker will be gone. Ryu will start to decline. They need this young wave of arms. And now the likes of Simeon Woods-Richardson, even Nate Pearson, these guys are not getting those bulk innings, at least in the traditional venue that they would be getting them. It's not happening in games. So it's happening maybe in bullpen sessions privately, but it's a different type of development and one that the Jays and, and Matt Bushman are really trying to figure out on the fly. Well, yeah, you think about how much we talked about Nate Pearson's workload a couple months ago, right? And how we talked about how the Blue Jays are going to manage that and the plan that they had in place for him, which a lot of thought and a lot of energy went into and, and a lot of preparation. Well, that's out the window now because we, you know here we are basically what would have been, I don't know, six weeks into the season, maybe even seven at this point. And you know, the soonest I think any of us expect that we could see even a, an exhibition game would be mid to late June. So this is going to you know continue to go on for another four weeks um you know how, how do you kind of devise a, a strategy that allows a guy to make the same strides and to make the same progression that he was playing to on a normal schedule in this unique weird situation and then even further to that like say you have guys throwing sim games and throwing bullpens or you know as matt was saying like maybe you know if a guy's just throwing his backyard maybe he can you know pull a hitter who lives nearby and and have him stand in there you still can't simulate the intensity you know and the emotion and just the tax of actual major league innings and major league games like ben you know you and i talk about this a lot like at field level in MLB games like it is intense and fierce and like these guys are sweating and going through it like heart rates are really really high and I know it can be kind of hard to you know understand that sometimes as a fan watching from you know the vantage points that we have but like I'm telling you at field level it's really really something so you know replicating that environment and that atmosphere I'm not sure that you can you know maybe you can get close like I don't know if you can like have a guy like run sprints in between pitches or something or, you know, how to replicate that level of fatigue and that level of emotion and intensity. There might be some methods, but it might just be one of those things that is, you know, unlike what you can simulate on a, on a practice mount. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the level of focus that happens in a game is, is just so high. And, you know, if you're throwing a bullpen session, let's say, you know, in the middle of the week and you've been waiting on a call from Pete Walker or, you know, a friend of yours, a family member, and that person phones, like, do you take the call in the middle of your bullpen session? Like, probably not. But what if it's in the middle of a workout? You know, like these lines are maybe a bit more blurred as everyone's doing everything from home. Some of those challenges would come up and you wouldn't have that full, full focus. You're totally isolated. It's all spotlight on you on the mound 
in the way that you would in the regular season. And I think, too, the intensity of a game just can't be replicated. You think about a guy like Trent Thornton pumping his fist. Is he pumping his fist as he comes off the mound after a bullpen <laughs> session? Like, I don't think so. It's Maybe he is. Maybe he's a pretty intense guy. But it's a totally different environment, and that leads to totally different challenges for the pitchers trying to improve. And you just don't get to test your stuff. But, like, if you're trying to develop a changeup and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, it feels like it's coming out well and, like, I've got a good grip on this thing now and I found something that, you know, works at my release point and my delivery. Well, okay, like, it can work in a side session and it can work in a sim game until you actually see how, like, competitive hitters who are trying to take you deep are reacting to it and whether they're picking it up or not and whether it actually is playing off of your fastball effectively or not. Like, until you actually get that feedback... You don't really know. It can feel good and look good in a side session, but like, you know, when Mike Trout's standing in there or Mookie Betts is standing in there, like that is a totally different animal. And without that feedback and without actually kind of seeing reactions from hitters and and seeing how something plays at game speed and, you know, in an MLB environment, I would imagine it would be hard to really make the true, like measurable steps that a lot of pitchers are trying to make right now. Yeah, it's going to be a weird ramp up. You know, if the season does happen, you ramp up, all of a sudden you're in July, which by their body clocks, you're kind of in the dog days of summer just when you're starting. It's going to be weird. I mean, there's no question about that on so many levels, but it's going to require, I think, a whole recalibration of what their bodies are used to compared to every other season they've had as professional athletes or even amateur athletes. We shall see, Ben. We shall see what happens. Thanks to Matt Bushman for joining us. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to our producer, Christian Ryan for producing at Christian Ryan NS on Twitter. Ben's on Twitter at B Nicholson Smith. I'm on Twitter at Arden Zwelling. And I want to remind everybody of Rogers Sports and Media's Hearts and Smiles campaign, which is going on here today on International Nurses Day. And we'll obviously be going on forward from there, thanking our frontline healthcare workers, recognizing them and, and showing our appreciation. If you'd like to get a t-shirt or a mask or many masks or a t-shirt and a mask, you can go to www.heartsandsmiles.ca. For Ben, I'm Arden. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time on At The Letters.